This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Justin. Welcome. You're listening to the G1 cast presented by FightGameMedia.com. Today is day seven of the G1 Climax 30 presented by New Japan. Today's show is the second at Korokan Hall in Tokyo. A block show, A block action. Boy, oh boy. It reminded me why I love pro wrestling. For real. That sounds cheesy, but that's the truth. Main event. Who boy. Tomohiro Ishii defeated Shingo Takagi in just under 30 minutes, about 27 minutes. It was a dogfight. It was another dogfight. This was the third match they've had since last year, and this was the first one where Ishii picked up the win. So... Takagi holds two victories over Ishii. Ishii picked up his first last night. Is that the match of the tournament so far? Mm, there's definitely a case for it. That's for sure. Will Ospreay defeated Jay White in an excellent match as well. I'm telling you, these guys are the future. I know people don't want to hear that. But please, just go watch this match from last night. And, dude, they're going to be in the semi-main or main event at Tokyo Dome within three years. I know it might sound crazy, but I'm telling you, please go watch that match and then we can argue. Besides Fightful.com, you can find Carlos on Twitter at CarlosToro360. And I'm on Twitter at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. Okay, enough babbling. Let's bring it to Carlos. Let's go. All right, we're back once more again. Welcome. I'm here with Carlos Toro. What's up, Carlos? They're pretty good. Pretty good. It's uh, we're we're now sort of starting to get into the grind of all things. Second show in a row that we're doing this, and then next week, boy, that's uh, that's gonna be a real a real grindhouse to say the least. Yeah, but I'm feeling the groove. I'm feeling like we're we're in it now. We're on day seven. We're day day seven. Yeah. Day seven, geez. Yes. Whew. We're flying through it. We're in, we're in the middle, almost. Kind of, sort of, in the middle. But um, I'm feeling it. Last night was a cool card. It was really good. Second night at Cora Quinn. Mm, we opened again with the C block, the unofficial C block. Yota Suji and Yuya Uemura. Suji won this one, but um, it was great. But we've been saying this almost daily we don't have much else to contribute, like to add to what more we said the day before about these matches with the Young Lions. Carlos, did you feel like many anything new or did you like see any new points that we could talk about for today? I mean, otherwise, it was a great match. Suji won with the Boston Crab. And again, again, exactly. This is the season, the summer of the Boston Crab, I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, but no lion tamer on this one compared to yesterday's show. But that's true. It's uh, yeah, it it, it it does kind of. I feel bad because like we're kind of just repeating the same things over and over with these young lion matches, but they're so basic and they follow a structure to a certain point with a couple of wrinkles here and there. I love the the Greco Roman knuckle lock that they had at the very beginning of the show it was real really fun. Crowd seemed to be very into it, especially from the get-go. And you got Yoda Suji, and my God, I cannot. Part of me can't believe how flexible this guy can be when it comes to like arching his back. Because you look at that Greco-Roman lock at the start, and he just like went his back like went all the way into an arch. And then when he was dealing with the uh, so relatively long Boston Crab, like 
Yorosuji had it like cinched in like really, really hard. So I guess that's one thing notably, just how flexible Yuyo Uemura is. But yeah, it's been, these matches have been really, really good for, for Young Lions matches. They've been very solid. And I don't think a single one has really been bad. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, these guys are super, super athletic and more athletic than you might think for what we consider a rookie. When we when we hear the word rookie or young lion or whatever, everyone might have a different idea in their head about what that actually means. Rookie could mean somebody started last week. But these three, at least just specifically these three, they look not like rookies. They look like they've been in the ring for at least 10 years. I think Gabriel Kidd has been around in the ring for almost as long as that. Is that right? Am I, am yeah, I off? Yeah, he's been okay. around since, I want to say, like, maybe it's in for like eight years or yeah. around that time. So so I, when we say rookie, I mean, in the company, they're a rookie, but these three especially, they wrestle like they've been around. And to, I guess to anybody who wants to dip in and watch uh, the G1, but might they only want to watch the matches that they want to watch, I want, I'd recommend any show... You can watch these guys. I almost guarantee you'll love it. And it's not that long. You know, these are all six or seven minutes. Um, I'm kind of interested maybe in a couple months when all this is over to kind of go back and revisit and watch more of these matches more back to back to see uh, the differences or the growth or, or whatever. I think we might be able to pick that apart if we watch them more back to back because it's kind of hard to compare when you watch them and then you have four or five of the greatest matches uh, on the card or uh, of the summer, arguably. So when we take it out of the context and put it into a different context, I mean, I think we might be able to extract more info from this. But even even with having to buffer in several matches in the G1, we've been able to kind of tell that every match, they slowly start to introduce like a new thing in their repertoire, whether it be, a variation to a different move, or even in yesterday where we didn't just have a finish with a Boston Crab, we had someone apply a line tamer-esque type of submission. Yeah, it's it's not just a, a pattern of, uh, of moves and finishes. It's they're being mindful of what they're doing in the ring. It's not just a Boston Crab. I mean, the story yesterday was that the only way Waymora could have won is if he really cranked on his Boston Crab and turned it into a line tamer. That's the story I think they're trying to tell. And those are the things that we're able to pick up on. And it's like a slow burn. And I think it'll continue uh, over the next couple of weeks. So keep an eye out for them. I'm excited to keep watching it. Uh, but I'm challenged to see what else we can come up with as these matches come on. I want to keep adding a I don't want to just repeat myself all the time. Yeah, these guys are awesome, but they really are. But we'll continue over the week. Okay, then we got back into the A block matches. Minoru Suzuki defeated Yujiro Takahashi. So yesterday when we were talking about this, you, you had a feeling that this was Yujiro's, maybe his death wish kind of match. But um, <laughs> it, it was shorter than I thought, and the way it started was a little bit surprising. It started off with... Uh, Yujiro kind of, you know, striking first. He laid in a big boot right at the bell. and uh, Really wanted that death wish. <laughs> exactly. What did you think of this? Did this, um, was this what you expected it to be like or was it different? Or And how did you feel about Yujiro after the match? Do you think it did anything for his standing in New Japan? Eh, it didn't. And overall, I wasn't a huge fan of this match. It, like, if you go to the New Japan results site, it says that this match was only 18 seconds longer than the Young Lions match. And not going to lie, this felt a lot wow. longer than more than just 18 seconds. It felt like at times it dragged just a little bit. It was, I think part of it has to do with the fact that I never bought into, ah, oh, there's a chance that usual might win. Like, not even in the sense of a oh well i mean g1 always has spoilers it's like no like there was no way Suzuki was gonna lose to yujiro takahashi like there was no conceivable way in my mind that would happen and it was i mean this wasn't terrible but it was it was pretty basic not gonna lie it wasn't i was not really into it it was kind of like a freebie to minoru Suzuki and 
it's, it's kind of been like a freebie for everyone in this G1 because Yajiro has yet to win. And not going to lie, I kind of do think that there's a good chance he might go 0 for 9 in this tournament. Ooh, it's possible. I mean, he's he's definitely on his way there so far. Um, Halfway there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm more or less on the same page as you. I, I didn't know that about the time that this and the Young Lions match earlier are essentially the same length and they I, I didn't even I, I couldn't even fathom like putting those two together like in the same time like that they're the same time length that that's really weird to me uh yeah this felt like that it said this match was seven minutes and 53 seconds this felt like it was 14 yeah. minutes and not in a good way I, yeah it really it, it's true and I think a lot of that maybe had to do with the ref stuff or the, you know, the chicanery, as we talked about, there was a lot of yeah. a pimp pole. What it was his pimp staff. Yujiro is like, yeah. Kane. I do have to say, I, I do have to say that, that actually remind me of one thing. I cannot believe for the life of me, how the, the ref quote unquote bump, like very early in the match where the referee was trying to take away a steel chair from Minoru Suzuki and the ref just trips he graces the the apron. Zuki doesn't even touch him, and then he he sells it like he would just get like hammered by a steel chair from Suzuki, and it was like so weird. I'm looking at this like this is like and and I have gripes with the New Japan refereeing for quite some time, but man, this was just all over the place. Yeah, I was thinking at the like at the beginning of the match, I go, man, is this a no DQ match already? And it, it wasn't even 30 seconds in and they're, in, they're doing a no DQ style stuff. I know that's par for the course in this style of a uh, Suzuki match or new Japan heel match. I get it. But, um, I, I don't know what, I, that's the question that I want to find out. I want to know why I feel that this felt so long when the match before it was just pure wrestling, pro wrestling, like Greco Roman uh, tie ups from the beginning as basic quote unquote basic as it gets. And I felt like it flew by and it felt really excited. And it was cool. Or is this, this was fine. I bet this was a lot more fun for the fans in attendance. These kind of matches are always like, like fan service. Cause they get closer to the crowd and you get to see your favorite uh, wrestlers up close and I get that, but on TV, man, it can drag. And uh, if you don't have the English announce team explaining what is going on with the referee, at least it's just going to leave a lot of people in the dark. And um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's what it is. It's part of the tournament. At least it was short. I guess that's yeah. what yeah. I, I do have to say there is something wrong with with a match if I'm more interested in trying to figure out what the hell El Desperado was saying on commentary, even though I don't know Japanese or very much so, I should say. Yeah, I, I had the volume on very low. I, all I noticed about El Desperado was that he was wearing a pretty cool Kinikuman shirt. And um, uh, he, that was, a, oh, no, he was on uh, the Samurai TV broadcast, actually. I think uh, so. Some of these. OK, so yeah. that, that I didn't know. OK, so this is kind of. Like confusing. Okay, so at the Korokan shows, I don't know the official deal, but when New Japan goes to Korokan, they usually do like there's some kind of deal that they have, like distribution deal with Samurai TV, where when they go to Korokan, they do like a flip flop of the announced teams. So Miki Motoi, she's like the she's on the New Japan World uh, broadcast team sometimes, but she's originally from Samurai TV. And, and she she was the one who's been on these recent shows, right? Yes, that's right. And uh, she, her and Milano Collection and whomever they uh, assign from the New Japan team. But sometimes they do flip-flop of the team. So that team, I don't know about Miki Motoi, but uh, Milano Collection and Desperado and maybe somebody else, they were doing the Samurai TV broadcast of the show while we, watching on New Japan World, we were watching the New Japan World broadcast team. And I think they were located more towards the the left side entrance and uh, Kanemaru was doing the commentary on that side. So we, at least we did have two Suzuki Goon uh, takes coming from both um, streams. Uh, I, I haven't seen the Samurai TV one, but, um, but they would kind of cut to Desperado, right? Because yeah, I, it's a, several times. Yeah. It's like a mix. I think they use the same broadcast stream. I just think they switch, switch up the um, announcing 
Uh, if anybody out there has any other details on that and wants to uh, help us out, fill us in, let us know. Any Japanese listeners, feel free to chime, yeah. in, to, to chime in on Twitter. Any Japanese listeners who are also familiar with Japanese TV distribution rights deals. Uh, yeah, th- Those can get tricky. And in Japan, the licensing laws are not just not stricter, but they just adhere to them more and they're more weary and conscious of them. So that just means I don't have the full answer, but I'm just kind of guessing. <laughs> but anyway, that's way more. I think we spoke about that match longer than the match itself. That which really says a lot about this match. <laughs> Take a quick break from Justin and Carlos to talk about DoorDash. I was thinking about DoorDash because uh, my stepkids, the, the twin boys, it's their birthday this weekend on Friday. And so Crystal, my wife, she allows them to pick whatever they want to eat for dinner. Um, you know, they could eat, they could each choose from different restaurants. And then, you know, we, we, we sort of have dinner. And I just realized that because, you know, we're not really driving in our cars and picking up restaurants and stuff. DoorDash is going to be actually the way that we do this. We're going to have uh, f- like four or five different orders from uh, for everybody in order you know, for the twins to get the meals that they want. And, you know, without DoorDash, it would probably be uh, re- either really hard or almost impossible for the two of us to kind of drive around in this pandemic and, and pick up meals. So, um, you know, that's another use case of, uh, of DoorDash, which is just, uh, you know, one of my favorite apps going right now. So uh, right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. So don't forget, BLUEWIRE for $5 off of your first order with DoorDash. Now back to Carlos and Justin. But next match, the next match gives us a lot to talk about was Jeff Cobb and Kota Ibushi, which I was really excited for because I didn't know what to expect. And while it was relatively short, it was filled with crazy action what was your take on ibushi and Cobb in the ring i think it was might have been for the first time too i think it was i could be wrong but i'm fairly certain this is a first time matchup uh yeah uh, like i said this was relatively short and didn't even get to 11 minutes uh which really really surprised me because i figured they would give Cobb and ken and kota ibushi like 16 17 minutes but regardless there was a lot of good action here started with the match with Kota Ibushi throwing some kicks, Jeff Cobb throwing some punches, a lot of striking throughout the match. And this was, this was, in my opinion, maybe Jeff Cobb's, maybe not best match, but best performance. Because everything he did, especially as the guy who carried the power between the two of them, it looked so damn impressive from Jeff Cobb just lifting up Kota Bushi, and then going in, I think it was, I think it was Tour of the Islands, that attempt. And then he, there was another time where he had Kota in a fireman's carry and just probably did a better F5. I know it wasn't an F5, but it looked like a better F5 than any of Brock Lesnar's F5s in the last decade or so. So like his power was just, it, it was like a sight to behold. And I kind of, I kind of left feeling the match partially like, man, I wish I could see more, but also kind of wish they did let them go because it, it didn't feel like the match really got into the second gear. Like it was just starting to get really, really good. And then all of a sudden, Kodabushi goes for a V-Trayer, then the Kamigoye, and then match over. Yeah, I know exactly the spot you're talking about too, that the announcer is called the F5000, where ah. he... Pretty much, yeah, he did an F5, but um, I don't know. But Kota Bushi spun like, like a helicopter three or four times. You know, those little leaves that come, they're not leaves, they're, they're called, I always call them helicopters, the little things that fall from the uh, from the trees with the seeds on them. Mm-hmm. Like he spun like that. He spun completely symmetrical and at least did one full rotation. He looked like he was an object that, he looked like a pizza, pizza dough flying, spinning through the air. 
and then he landed flat in his stomach. Yeah, there's a lot of cool and impressive stuff in this. And this is one of those matches where if I had a friend who I wanted to like show pro wrestling, like what's going on in pro wrestling today, I would just show him some clips from this because just the athleticism, just the look of it all is kind of, it stops you. You don't have to be a fan or anything. It's just, you can't deny how impressive both of them were. It's cool. It's really cool. And, uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. I don't know what you're going to say. And not only that, like, this match was, like, ten and a half minutes. And none of these guys were, like, going to 100 miles per hour. But there was good intensity <laughs> there. A lot of great back and forth. And, like, this was just, like, a simple, nice, easy watch. Like, it's not something that you have to dedicate, like, learning an entire storyline for. It's it's a tournament. Both guys want to win, and they both go at it real hard for ten and a half minutes. Yeah, that's a cool point. It's a great tournament match. It's great for this, and actually, what it does, it's a success in that we both want to see more of them. We want to see them do it again for longer. So now that's their that's New Japan's money in the bank right there. If people want to see that again, well, they prove that they can do it. Give them 10, 15 more minutes. Put it in the same place with more crowd or more fans, I think you'll have a pretty damn good match. But we'll see. But this is definitely the Ibushi year. So there was, I don't think there was a moment where I thought Cobb was going to pull it off, but I liked how they finished it too because those, that V-Trigger and Kamagoya, those looked, um, those looked really, he, he ate those. He ate all of those. It looked good. It, and it looked like that's the only way you could put away someone like Jeff Cobb. You know, if he just went through the motions and Cobb took the pin, you know, it, it is what it is. But last night it was emphatic, really big bang right in the head. Looks good. Good job, both guys. I love it. Makes me love pro wrestling. <laughs> uh, next match, definitely a different pace and vibe. Okada defeated Taichi. Um, so what are your thoughts on this match and was it what you expected? It's it's weird. I I looked at this match and I thought Okada's gonna win first of all. And the question is obviously it this match continues the storyline of how is Kazuchika Okada gonna apply the the Cobra Clutch or, or the money, money clip, clip as yeah. it's being thrown around. And the match they had a good story. It had an interesting like single match story. Okada's back was heavily taped up. And Tai Chi was going to do everything in his power to injure the lower back even more, just target that, the tape. And it surprised me a lot that, that Tai Chi was getting so much offense in this match. Like, it felt like Okada was just kind of working from behind almost from the get-go. And he wasn't quite moving, like, at the same Okada speed and pace that we're accustomed to seeing, which really does help with, you know, with selling the lower back, that he's not at 100%, which it's, it's good. It's a good story. Okada does a lot of things very, very well. I'm still a little iffy on just how he's transitioning into those Cobra clutches, which it still feels to me like, it's not like he hasn't fully mastered properly transitioning it into a match. Like it wasn't like building up to something. It just like, okay, we're at the end of the match. Got to apply the, the Cobra clutch and that's it. Like there was no big, there were no major ebb and flow with Okada just applying the, the Cobra clutch. But I mean, he does it well and it's a, believable submission finish yeah it just he, he needs a little bit more time in just being able to work that into a match a little easier but overall this was not a bad match it was a good match not the not necessarily the best possible match between these two but taiji continues to prove himself to be a capable worker as a heavyweight and you it's almost impossible to have a bad match against okada it is possible but this was not the case yeah, um, about the money clip point, that's a really good point because I think we're so almost spoiled seeing Okada finish matches in a really smooth way. Like a Rainmaker is such a smooth finish because he always weaves it in to a bigger part of the match where it just kind of comes out of nowhere and we're all shocked and we don't have enough time to process what happened. Like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And then he gets the pen and we're all joyous and yay, Okada. With the money clip, 
you have to he has to work himself into it and it's new and I know what you mean. It it, it feels kind of glommed on like, okay, this is going to be a part of the G1 story with Okada. He's going to use this move. And we kind of feel that a little bit, but hey, he has a couple more weeks if that's the story and he wants to fill, you know, work that into his repertoire. That's more on Okada to get it over. I, I hope I hope it works, but I know what you mean on that point. Yeah, it feels like forced. The, the one thing I do have to say that I thought that was a really interesting little wrinkle into all of this was that Taichi never tapped. He never tapped. That's very true. He submitted. The, the referee stopped the match. So I liked it in the in the sense that it's not just, well, this is just a new submission. Like, this is a deadly submission. Mm. Like, to the point where Taichi just passes out or just is unable to even uh, stop the match or it forces the referee to think, oh my God, Tai Chi is in a lot of bad, a lot of trouble. He's not tapping, but I got to stop this match. So it, as far as the in-ring stuff as making it look smooth, still needs a little bit more work, but I like that they're really relying on the Cobra Clutch as not just a submission, but a deadly submission. And it's a good point that you brought up because the fact that Tai Chi didn't tap out, he could use this in his story to say, you know, technically I never lost in the G1 because right now this is his only loss. And this loss, if he wants to, or New Japan wants to book it like this, he can say, you know, technically I never gave up or I was never pinned. Therefore, I'm owed, you know, a, a title shot or a shot uh, or points or whatever. You could... The, the, or you can even just do a rematch between sure, Okada yeah. and Taichi. Absolutely. And I, when I was watching this, I was thinking to myself, I don't know how many people are going to feel about this, but I could absolutely see these two guys being, I don't know about rivals or they complement each other pretty well, I think. It's not like what we saw in the earlier match with Ibushi and Cobb. It was all action. It was athleticism. Where here, it was that, but it was more of like traditional pro wrestling storytelling where we have two characters trying to tell one isolated story in one match. And Taichi, that's what I think he does better than anything else he does in the ring. He's, he's a good wrestler. We've always given him shit, but because he was always placed in a junior heavyweight context, and I don't think it really works. I think having him with someone like Okada who wrestles in a more international way I think Tai Chi wrestles in a kind of international way too at times. And I think you can tell those more story-based matches. And also I wanted to, I think I haven't mm, come to the conclusion yet, but I'm leaning towards, I think Tai Chi is much better off without Miho Abe around the ring. Mm -hmm. I thought, I mean, it, it's fine for what it was or for what it used to be. But right now, I mean, it makes me feel like he's a, more serious contender now that he doesn't have uh, outside interference all the time. I, I don't know why. And, and it lends and it lends to when he returns to tag team wrestling that it makes the partnership between him and Zack Sabre Jr. a much more serious duo rather than just Zack Sabre Jr.'s the guy the guy with the technical mastery and Tai Chi is just there. I mean, the fall guy may be taking the pins, whereas now if Tai Chi is in charge and takes a pin in a tag match. Not many people would bat an eye. They'd go, oh yeah, that's Tai Chi. That's what he's been doing. He's the heavyweight. He's dude in charge. So I think it wasn't the best match in the world, but I really enjoyed it. And I think it did a lot for both guys. And I hope uh, we see more development in the future. It could be cool. And then finally, we have two more matches on the card. And I think these were two of the best matches maybe of the G1. So far, it's, I, I keep saying that every night, but these were damn good, I have to say. So last night, Will Ospreay and Jay White. Will Ospreay defeated Jay White. Uh, this was also Jay White's first loss, too. Um, these guys, I feel like they will in a couple of years, maybe within three years. This will probably be the semi-main at Tokyo Dome. I'm going to lock that in right now. I, I, I believe you know what? it. I would not doubt that this match could even headline Tokyo Dome in even a short in a shorter amount of time. I mean, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would go that far, but if it happened, I wouldn't be surprised because these guys—they're really, really damn good wrestlers. Really good. Like they're working at a level that I don't think any other wrestlers are working at right now. 
I, I just no, I haven't seen that. Like these guys are just locked in to what like their deal. They're, both Osprey and Jay White they're pretty different as far as like styles of who they are as wrestlers. But they were both so much themselves last night, and it worked so well. I thought. What did you feel about this match? I thought this was one of the best matches with G1 so far. Mm. May have been Jay White's best match, which is really saying a lot, but this was phenomenal. I love that they kept the Bullet Club interference to a minimum. I loved how Osprey won, got the win over uh, Jay White, but also did so in a very like smart way. And by that, I mean, it's like, you obviously, we've seen guys, like, obviously fall into the same traps of just going up against a Bullet Club member, just going up against anyone. And then they fall to the interference slash chicanery slash, like, you know, whatever, the whatever, like, illegal stuff that should be happening in a match. Like, and then Osprey does the, first of all, does some phenomenal moves left and right. And he just it wins the match, one, by, by not only stopping Gato, about to hit him with the brass knucks, and then Osprey blocks a low blow from Jay White, hits the hidden blade, and then the Stormbreaker. But what I loved also before that was that there was a point where Jay White was in position to get hit with the hidden blade, and... He just collapses in the middle of the ring. And we haven't seen that from Jay White at all during this entire G1, not even against Okada, where he just is like so damaged and so exhausted to the point where he just collapses. And that, to me, that made that legitimized Osprey even more as like a real threat at the heavyweight division. Because Okada wasn't able to beat Jay White. And Osprey was able to do so while fending off Bullet Club interference. And, there, and he did so while doing all of his moves, like about as perfect as you can do. Like even the moments where he was hitting the Oz cutter and JY narrowly escapes, like even then, like JY just does a great job of like selling the, the move attempt to the point where it looked like he was about to hit it and it just escapes just narrowly. Like, this match was just fantastic. Like, we can just talk about, like, move by move, but I don't think it really would do it justice. I'd say just go out and watch this match. This match was phenomenal. Yeah, Jay White is so... What I was thinking about when I was watching it last night is how detail-oriented he is. He's really detail-oriented, and it's subtle. And it's subtle in a way where you can only notice it when you put the whole picture together. Like... What you just mentioned about um, when Jay collapsed, when Will Ospreay went for the Hidden Blade, because he, and it, it kind of put Osprey over as so much more powerful than he's been before. And that was the only time that Jay's, quote, legit collapsed in the ring. And it made me think, there was a couple nights ago when Jay and Shingo Takagi had a match. And Jay pretended to be passed out. There was one little moment I remember where he, uh, Takagi went for his uh, sliding D, the clothesline, when uh, uh, mm-hmm. Jay is kind of like uh, uh, seated. And he he kind of played possum. He was pretending to be passed out. And I remember Takagi walking over to him and kind of kicking him and waking him up. So it was that little bit of detail and nuance to Jay's character. Okay. Sometimes he fakes it, but when it's real quote, quote unquote, real, look how much, uh, look how much it does for the other person in the ring and for the context of everything of his story. I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if I'm just looking way too deeply into it, but the dots, if you connect them, they're there and they're making a lot of sense and they're pointing at Jay, maybe winning this whole thing. And again, not to take anything away from Osprey's execution and performance here. He's unreal. He's unreal. I don't know. I don't yeah, know how I he mean, does outside that. Of May, aside from maybe Naito, like Osprey has been the biggest babyface 
in this entire tournament. Yeah, I think the only big difference between Naito's performance and Osprey's is their opponents. Like Naito has been in pretty high-profile matches, whereas Osprey has had a couple, but like he's had matches with Yujiro too. So it's different pace. But I think mm-hmm. by the end, I'm and boy, when you say it like that. I could definitely. I don't. I don't think it'll happen this year. But an Osprey versus Naito match eventually. Oof, boy, boy, imagine that. That'd be phenomenal. It would be phenomenal. I just don't want anybody to break their necks. <laughs> you know what? Thankfully, thankfully they they've kind of gone done away a little bit with those types of spots. Those in recent years, yeah. I, I have noticed that from Naito and Osprey. And and in this uh, tournament, aside from the. Uh, Blade Runner that Kota Ibushi took recently where he just bounced off of the top of the crown of his head like Rob Van Dam or something. Boing. And he, he it looks like he, he had a slinky as a neck and it just went in and out and he bounced up and down. But yeah, you're right. I, we don't see it as much, at least not even as much this in this past tournament. There are a couple, you know, head drops, but I feel like uh, a summer or two ago, guys were just destroying each other on the apron every other match. And that's not always necessary, especially if they're, it's not even a packed house. So, but that could lead to an entirely different discussion where we have to talk about a lot more wrestling uh, and not New Japan. So we'll save that for another time. But yeah, definitely this gets the Carlos and Justin big thumbs up. Go check it out. Recommendation. The NBA Finals begins this week. You have football still on the weekends, and we are smack dab in the first round of the baseball, the new wildcard playoffs. This is really wacky. Three-game series is you just got to win twice, and, and you move on. And So it's a perfect time. This may be the most single most perfect time in the history of sports betting to be on a website like bet online and you know i can't imagine when all of the sports unfortunately hockey is over but you know just 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 recently over so you could have even got in on hockey and then you know there's ufc every weekend as well so can't imagine there's a better time to be a a sports betting fan unless because so many people are betting you know maybe the lines are a little bit different than you're used to but head to bet online today and take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE when you do so. Uh, that's BLUEWIRE all in one word. So check out Bet Online. Go there. There's so much action going on right now. It's really incredible. All right, let's get back to Justin and Carlos. And now I can't speak for you, but the next match, the main event, I would give that special thumbs up to Tomohiro Ishii and Shingo Takagi as well. This match was love this freaking match. love great. this match so effing much. Um okay, so they've had two matches before. They had a match last G1 and they had a match this February right before the pandemic, which was also really good. So I don't know if you're if you caught those but how would you rate this either compared to their other matches or if you haven't seen those just compared to the rest of their G1 matches so far? I'd have to look back. I do. Re- I do fondly remember the one in February, uh, the, the last one they had, mm. and it was, it was also great. It was. I'd have to really look back because it, it feels like, even though technically, it hasn't even been a year since that match because of the pandemic. It's felt like forever. Right. It definitely has. But, but this match was fantastic. I was surprised. This match was. I think it ended. Up, it's. The second longest match in the entire G1. I'd have to look back, but it's it's very, very close to being the, the longest match in the G1. They had less than two minutes to spare before we got to the 30-minute time limit. And the crowd was, like, into everything these two did. Like, the intensity was there. Like, I said, I, I said this yesterday, that if you saw the Minoru Suzuki-Ishii match, expect this one to be... That, but maybe even more intense and longer. And that's kind of what we got. Some of the moves that we saw from, from Takagi, like we talk about like the power that Jeff Cobb had. Like there was a moment where 
Takagi did like a dead left wheelbarrow suplex on Ishii, which probably put him more over than almost anything he could have done in this entire match outside of winning. Fantastic back and forth between these two. The, the intensity was there. I loved, but at the same time, I winced a lot when these two were headbutting each other. Like, not just like work headbutts, like shoot headbutts. Mm. Like, there was a time, one where Ishii, like, kind of get went at it a little bit too hard, and Takagi's like neck and head, like, kind of went back a little too far, and I winced a little bit. But it goes to show, like, the level of physicality these two guys bring and their styles mesh so well at a at a rate like takagi ishii might be takagi's best opponent outside from will osprey just because these two guys operate so well under heavy heavy physical matches and there's really you know there was like not a whole ton of like technical wrestling that you maybe have seen from the other matches, but this felt more like a fight at times than than an actual pro wrestling match. Yeah. I think the main difference between this match and Ishii versus Suzuki is that this had a, definitely had a higher level of athleticism. There was definitely fast action, like pro wrestling action in this. Whereas the Suzuki Ishii match I don't think there was any flash at all. It was purely a, like came off as a fist fight there. It was just, you know, no sugar added period. Whereas this was the works. You got fireworks. You got everything. You got the Suzuki type of match, Suzuki Ishii type of match, plus a lot more plus Takagi. And like you said, his power, he's showing off his power. Takagi, he's, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the big, the cut bodybuilder muscle body, but He's he's freaking strong, and that's real, and that's something that we can really enjoy and watch and be in awe of. And so is Ichi. God, the, the headbutts that you mentioned—they uh, were even headbutting each other after the match too. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. It was not not in the same way like with Kota Ibushi and his post-match stuff a couple of days ago, but this match, but like after the match, like you could tell, like these guys. We're not done. Like, I have a feeling we're going to get another singles match. I wouldn't be surprised these two guys end up having, like, a singles match in the mid-card or lower end of the card at, at Tokyo Dome. I really wouldn't doubt that. I hope so. I hope that happens. I hope they, they're able to add some real stakes to it. I, I'm, you know, never titles, you know, fine, cool, whatever. But these two deserve to be where other wrestlers are, too. So... Yeah, we'll and, and it's a it's a damn shame because like first of all, I was I don't want to say I was surprised at Shingo Takagi losing because as great because like there was no way there was no you I mean you could see it but there was no reasonable way to expect Ishii to go over four in in the G one and and I'll be honest like I thought like you know I looking back like I didn't expect this uh, this little nugget of a stat but. This was Ishii's worst start in a G1, like, ever. Like, he never started mm. 0 for 3. And I never thought in, like, there was no way they were going to put him 0 for 4. Shame that it came at, like, putting Shingo Takagi at 1 and 3. But it, it, it's weird. I, I just, I'm a little worried about Shingo Takagi and how he's been booked a little bit because he looked phenomenal as the number open weight champion. Then he, lo- he drops the title to Suzuki. Fine. Not an issue. But then he goes out and loses three, you know, three of his first four matches. With the lone exception being Will Ospreay. So it kind of does leave me to believe a couple of things. One, whoever, I, I genuinely think, now more convinced than ever, we're going to get uh, either Osprey or Jay White are going to win the G1. Either of those two are going to win the G1. Ooh. And I think if Will Ospreay wins, you have the perfect excuse to have a rematch between Shingo Takagi and Will Ospreay. You can finally do that rubber match where the story goes that, you know, Shingo didn't do that well in the G1, but then he beat Ospreay in a really, really good match. And the two have 
not the longest history, but their history inside the ring is nothing short of unbelievable magic, fantastic wrestling that you can recently put like Takagi for the rest of the year as sort of that Osprey kryptonite type of role. Mm. So I could genuinely see that's the direction going where like he got the win over Osprey and Osprey wins to G1. So you already got a program with Shingo Takagi. So the rest of G1 doesn't really matter to him. Osprey winning the G1 is something that I didn't consider really at all. But now that you have me thinking about it, there are a lot of threads they can pull on. There are a lot of stories they could tell based on just this summer's tournament or this fall's tournament, what they just did. So I never know. And they've experimented with a couple of unique matches because of the pandemic. Like, I don't know what what the original booking was for the New Japan Cup, but I don't think we expected evil to not only win, but to beat Naito and to headline, you know, the, the Jingo uh, baseball stadium show and to headline dominion. Yeah. I, I mean, if it was in the plans, I don't know if it was planned for at least that early in the year, but it happened and he's already not the champion. So they, they pivoted and they're, they're where they're at now, but don't count out Gato. He might swerve us. And when do you remember when Kenny Omega won the G1 in 2016? Before that, he yeah. was he was of course he was really popular, but I don't think people expected him to go all the way and and win that year. From like my feeling, from what I remember, I remember when he won that, it was really like whoa! It was a big headline because he was the first foreigner to really to win it. And from there, holy smokes, the the momentum he gained just in Japan. Uh, and then later, a couple months after that, right into um, to the states, and then you got that story. But you never know; I could that could happen too. We could get a Kenny Omega 2.0 situation with Osprey, or yeah. or and that's honestly what I what I genuinely have thought about Osprey ever since he came back. Like, the, I, and maybe I'm overthinking this, but the first match that he had in the G1, like they had him cutting a promo like after the match, but it wasn't the end. Of, it was like the second or third match of the show. You don't, and New Japan typically yes. doesn't do that. Right. Like they don't let their guys typically cut promos like that after the show. And he was not the only guy from outside Japan to make a surprise appearance and enter the G1, but he's the only one out of those guys to be able to cut that promo. And the Japanese audience is very receptive, at least from what I've been able to see with my own eyes and listen with my own ears. They're very receptive to Osprey. I wouldn't doubt that they would just say, uh, they just go ahead and pull the trigger on him or at the very least, like very, very easily tease that. I mean, that, I don't think you're overthinking it at all. I think when that's a great point because it, that's not usual. They, it's not usual for New Japan to take a foreigner on maybe the second or third match of the card and have them win a match in seven minutes and then cut a, a welcome back promo. That That is a big move to me from New Japan. I mean, he has action figure coming out in January too, with, along with Ishii, Tanahashi, Okada. That's like, they're looking at him as the guy already. So you could be absolutely right. Maybe he's going to be the guy later this year. That's the plan. Who knows? He looks like he could be. It could be Jay. And, and you need, like, massive baby faces because let's be sure. honest. Tanahashi is not getting any younger. Uh, Kota Ibushi is going to be in the upper car, but I don't know if they'll ever, like, truly run with him. He's also 38. Baby face. He's also 38, which is funny because you look at Kota Ibushi and he's looked like he's 25 for the last th- – 15 years he's he's a blessed wrestler I, I don't know what kind of dna he was blessed with but um they should share that with the world i think <laughs> and, and naito even though he's looking phenomenal like wasn't that long ago where we were worried a little <laughs> bit about naito and his injuries and the state of his body so you know it's possible they might expedite and just really push osprey into that top gaijin baby face sooner rather than later and then to sort of help establish him as a real heavyweight threat there you go with the with a potential rubber match against shingo takagi i love it it could happen all possibilities are 
possible. <laughs> Torriano's 3-0, no, so I don't doubt, so I wouldn't put anything past Gato. And speaking of Naito, it is good to see that, like, we, there was that time where, I don't think we were worried, but we were looking at Naito and like, man, Naito, you want to take a break or something? You want to take a couple months off? Just chill out? He came back. He's Since that match with Evil is when I really started to to notice, like, wow, damn. All right. He, he's looking great, and he's looked awesome in all of his matches so far. And tomorrow night or tonight, he's going to be in Niigata against Sanada against another losing streak fellow. I don't know what's, uh, what the plan is for this, but if Sonata is going to win anything in the B block, this might be the starting point. Although, like we've been talking about, Naito's been on a hot streak. He looks great. He's undefeated. Do you have any predictions for the main event in Niigata? I'm going to say this. Uh, Sonata beats Naito. Like I know it may be a little unbelievable to say, but one, you're going to need guys... You're going to need at least one short-term title program against uh, for Naito past the G1 because you're not going to have him, you know, twiddling his thumbs all throughout the tournament. You're not going to put him in the world in the World Tag League. So you're going to need something. And Sanada is good for a very short-term title program with Naito. And there's an interesting intra-faction storyline with Naito's going up against another guy uh, from his faction, so yeah. there's a good, that's a good way to one establish credibility with Sonata to build something for the next couple of months, and really to look at the card. It's it's easy to say, well, there's no way they're gonna put Yano four and zero, but I don't doubt anything. Yeah, and and there you got Tanahashi versus Yoshihashi, and you think to yourself, well, there's no way Tanahashi is gonna lose to Yoshihashi. Mm. But then we've seen the booking here. So it's kind of like it, it's a, it's a card that you kind of think to yourself, you, you think you can accurately predict all the matches, but at the same time, this could easily, you know, swerve a lot of people. So you also got other matches, uh, Hiroki Goda versus Zack Sabre Jr., Kenta versus Evil, and as I mentioned, Toriyano Juice Robinson, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Joshihashi, and then lastly, uh, Tetsuya Naito versus Sonata. I'm looking forward to it. I think that's the beauty of the G1 is when you get seven, eight, nine days into it and you can kind of see the story unfolding. That's when we can, you know, chat about the possibilities and get excited about the matches and see what's going to happen. I'm excited to see uh, the main event tonight. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be a barn burner. Like I, I Sonata has always been, whenever they put him in, like in a position to go up against one of the top guys in the company. It's very rare that he disappoints as far as the match quality. It's true. And the last time, anytime he's in Niigata, he's always either coming out on top or he's at least like, if he loses, he still ends the show cutting a promo saying that he loves Nagaoka and Niigata or something, his, his usual style. But it's too soon to tell. We'll, we'll know in a couple hours. So on that note, we're going to be back tomorrow, Carlos and I. We're going to go over that. We'll see if Carlos is right, if Sonata picks up his first win. And on that, I have not been wrong on, on these types of bold predictions before. So don't, at least so far in the G1. Yeah, we have, takes Carlos seriously, people. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> and we haven't even, we're only halfway through. What about till we get to the end when the big, the big bets are laid down or something? <laughs> anyway, I'm Justin for Carlos. We'll see you later. Fight Game Media. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye, guys.